All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to have everybody here. I just want to give another shout out to Kevin and his wife, Kyan. Uh, for who they are, for what they're doing. It's such an incredible partnership to know that the difference that they are making in a lot of broken and hurting people's lives. And man, we just honor their sacrifice. And I just want to remind you, if you're a kingdom builder here, if you contribute to that, I want you to know, man, we bring uh, our guests in so you can hear firsthand from them the difference that we're making, the impact that we're making, and that Jesus truly is changing the world. Come on, one more time. Can we honor Kevin and Kyle Weaver? Thank you, guys. If you're not yet giving, man, I just would encourage you to, man, get on board with us, help us. We are doing things with partners like that all over the world and uh, seeing the light of the gospel uh, change lives. So uh, if you're giving, thank you. If you're not, man, I just would encourage you to jump on board with that. Well, my name is Steve Husky, lead pastor at Faith Church. Just an honor to have everybody here in Florence. Can we show some love? Welcome our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg. Good to have you guys in the house. Our Faith Church family in the Shoals, everybody else watching online. Listen, real quick, I just want to give a couple more shout outs. It's important we do this because maybe you don't know this. It's shocking to me every time I hear it. But on a regular basis, we'll get contacted from somebody who's watching from not just a different city in Alabama, but we have people who watch literally all over the United States. We have people that watch in other countries. We've had families move from California to this area because they found us online and they're moving. They wanted to be a part of this church. I want to give a shout out to a man. Mark Nays is in Pensacola, Florida, recently gave his life to Jesus. He considers Faith Church Home Church, watches every single week online. Mark Nays, come on, let's give it up. Mark, it's so good to have you. Wednesday night, we had 39 baptisms, and I just want to just tell you two real quick. One said this. I said, hey, if you know this about our church, we say life change happens here. She said life change happens here is a great slogan until it happens to you. She experienced life change in Jesus. Hang on. We had one other person that was here Wednesday night, very first time ever in church. She ended up giving her life to Jesus and also followed Christ in baptism. Come on, let's honor God for what he's doing in the house. Listen, we say it this way. We say it uh, every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe if you'll open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision that you have ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on, one more time. Can we honor God? Man, I'm just thankful, thankful. Well, as we jump into a brand new series today, I just have to wonder how many people in the house gamble. Now I'm asking you to raise your hands, not asking by a show. Some of you too late, you slipped it up, now we know. (laughs) But how many people gamble? Well, you can find some stats that tell us. If you go to addiction.com, you'll find that 85% of Americans say that they'll gamble one time in their life. 60% of Americans say that they will gamble within a year. And 26% of Americans say they gamble on a regular basis. Interesting. A lot, a lot of gambling. And where that pays off or costs, I should say, is it's costing Americans $119 billion a year in gambling. This is gambling uh, in casinos, Tunica, not that you would know anything about that place. This is gambling on games like Uh, Tennessee versus Alabama, for example. (laughs) This is gambling on golf courses. We're at $119 billion, lots of people gambling. But here's what I want to say today as we jump into this message is I would propose that 100% of Americans gamble on a daily basis. And the reason I say that is because I believe, and I think you would concur as well, that life is a gamble. 
Just waking up and getting out of bed is a gamble. Making the decisions that all of us make on a daily basis, it's a gamble. For example, if you are in the dating game, if you would rather swipe right than be single, there's a chance you could find your significant other, and there's also a chance you could find heartbreak in a stalker. At the end of the day, it's a gamble. If you decide to go off to college, there is a chance you could get a degree and find a lifelong career in something that will finance you and provide for you, but really there's just as likely of a chance for you just to end four years and be saddled with debt and end up going a totally different direction. It's just all a gamble. Everybody say a gamble. It's a gamble. Life is a gamble. When you get in your car, a lot of times we don't like to think this way, but our goal is just to get in. We crank it up. We put on the seatbelt. We drive. And while there is a good chance you will get to your destination, there is also a chance, because life is a gamble, that you can get in a car accident. For all of you that ignore the needle and the red light on your dashboard because you can go a little bit further, you're taking the gamble that you can make it without getting more gas. Life, life is a gamble. Everything we do in life is a gamble. We all make choices and decisions. If you're going to invest in the stock market, if you are going to be a part of a business, if you're going to write contracts, if you're going to do a startup, all of that Right, Obviously, while you hope to achieve, while you hope to see payoff, while you hope it, it increases and there are gains and returns, at the end of the day, life is a And you could lose everything. Life is a gamble. So we are all, at one point or another in life, we are all gamblers. We're all gamblers. Now, here's what you need to know is gambling is a risk because of the uncertainty. Right, if you knew the future, if you knew everything there's no, it's not really gambling. But the reason gambling is a risk is because it's uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what's going to happen with the business, the stock, the date. We're just not sure. And here's what you need to know in this conversation is, is that the more the uncertainty, the, the greater the gamble. The less you know about the future, you le the less you know, the higher the risk, the greater the gamble. The higher the risk, the greater the gamble. I know right now that, uh, for example, I know there are people, I'm not saying here, but uh, are willing because we don't have a state lottery here in Alabama. When it gets big enough, some of you will head to the Tennessee line. I saw you. I do this thing when I drive by the state line and like there's lines out because, you know, some people reckon, I'm not saying I'm, I'm like, I'm all that, but some people know me or see my car. When I drive by, I beep and wave. <laughs> just, just in case, you know, I seen you. And it's always a person that's like, I see you. But think about it. There are, why are, willing, why are people willing to bet some money to get a big payoff? Because again, life is a gamble. They're willing to ignore the uncertainty for a big payoff. Did you know that the chance of you hitting the lottery is the odds are 252 million to one. You are 250 times more likely to, I'm sorry, 200 times more likely to be struck by lightning and 80 times more likely to be bitten by a shark than to win the lottery. <laughs> Recently, when it was a billion dollar payoff, if some of you remember, because you were in line getting tickets for it, 
Mathematicians said you are more likely to get struck by lightning on your way to the beach to be getting by, hit be, by bitten by a shark than to win the lottery. Why? Come on, life is a gamble. Here's what I want you to know today is I think a lot of us, because we're all gamblers, we are wasting our risk on the wrong things. We're gambling on things, hoping for a payoff that'll never come. And what I want to talk about through this series is what would happen if we could find a way to minimize uncertainty and maximize reward? Would you be on for that? If we could minimize the unknowing and maximize the payoff, would you participate? Because where we're going to go for the next four weeks beginning today is I want to talk about this idea of what it looks like to gamble on God. Because I believe that even though you are uncertain, there is somebody we know who is certain about tomorrow. While we don't know the future, he does. And while he has plans and promises that you can take to the bank, if you will gamble on God, it is the best bet that you can make. High people's down for gambling on God. <laughs> to gamble on God. Well, gambling on God, what I mean by that is, is, is doing the game of life God's way is making the choices and the decisions that all of us make in Lawrenceburg and Shoals, the choices you make, the choices we make on a regular basis by gambling in the right direction, by putting our risk in the right place. If you're taking notes, watch this, watch this. You can't win God's game playing by your rules. You can't win at God's game, the game of life by playing by your rules. There are other rules that we have to learn to play by. How many people have heard the term house rules? Anybody familiar with that term? House rules, house rules means it's the rules of the house. House rules means it's the rules of the house. Every house, whether you know this or not, you have house rules. I had house rules at my house growing up. One of the house rules was this. If you came to my house, if you were one of my friends, you're going to eat whether you're hungry or not. Mom is making you something to eat and you're going to eat it. I mean, that's just a fact. She come in, are you hungry? Uh, no, Miss Husky. Are you sure you wouldn't let, like me to make you something to eat? No, Miss Husky, I'm fine. I'm gonna make you something. <laughs> I'm telling you, that happened over. And then my friends would love it and they would come like, they used to beep and come pick me up and I was like, is your mom here? <laughs> because they knew the rule of the house was if you come to the Husky house, you're gonna eat. All of you in all of our campuses, you have house rules. Some of your house rules, for example, is if I come to your house, Hey, whatever's in the fridge, help yourself. Some of you, your house rules is something like this. You have to take off your shoes. I hate people who make me take off my shoes. I don't have holes in my socks. My feet don't stink. I'm just like, never mind. I don't even want to come in and visit you that bad. You are not worth the taking off and the putting on of the shoes. House rules. We all have house rules. House rules, the rules of the house, are everywhere we go. There are house rules on a college campus in your class. Did you know that? When the professor hands you a syllabus, what he's telling you is house rules. This is what I expect concerning your attendance. These are the projects. These are the due dates. This is the score you have to achieve to get the grade you desire. House rules. There are house rules on the job. If you get a job, any job, typically they will hand you an employee handbook, employee manual, policies, procedures. Those are the House rules. If you're going to work here, this is what we expect. This is what we're asking. What I love, and I think where the term house rules really came from is in the gaming industry. Anybody here at our campuses, you love to game with family, with friends, like board games, dice, whatever, wave at me, like it. A lot of you, you may not know this, but there are standard rules with every game and then there are house rules. 
The house rules are the unique rules that are unique to the house you're playing at. Let me give you one that is I love. Uh, the game of Monopoly. That is the all-time American game of destroying your friend's morality. Uh, you just destroy them. And when you play the game, there is a, a square. It's directly diagonal from go. It's called free parking. Now, the standard rules of the game of Monopoly is that free parking is just, you pull on it and that's it. It's free parking. But then at my house, you come to my house and some of you, this is your house rule. That's where all of the taxes and the fees go. And when somebody lands on free parking, somebody's getting paid. Let's go, somebody. How many people play with that rule? Those are house rules, house rules. House rules. I'm no fun to play with. I'm, I just want you to know that. I am cutthroat and deadly. I am a sore loser and a more sore winner. That's a fact. Anybody I play with, uh, there's a good chance we will not be friends when it's over. House rules. Everybody say house rules. Did you know that God has house rules? If you're going to play God's game, you have to play by God's rules. God has house rules. When you read the Bible, specifically the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, what you find he's really doing when you lean into the lens we're talking about of gambling with God, you'll find that what Jesus is doing is he's teaching the rules of the kingdom. This is how God's house operates. The parables that Jesus teaches are house rules. Anytime you read this phrase, Jesus will say several times, the kingdom of God is like house rule. He's about to give you a house rule. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, one of the sermons that Jesus preached, it takes up three chapters of the book of Matthew. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us house rules. If you want to live a blessed life, be a peacemaker, be merciful, house rules. He's saying when you, when you are, someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies or love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus is doing is he's giving house rules. These are the rules of my house. House rules are the rules of the house. If you're going to be a part of my house, these are the rules we play by. Now, here's what you need to know. This is where we're going to go today if you're taking notes. God's most important house rule is faith. The number one rule that he wants all of us to learn and learn to operate by, the number one rule of our spiritual journey, the number one rule of our relationship with God, the number one rule if you're going to gamble on God and win is you have to play by the rule of faith. Now, what is faith? I imagine we could have conversations and you could give your opinion and I can give my opinion, but we don't need to really have opinions because God clearly tells us in his word what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, we get a very clear definition of what is this idea? What is the rule of faith? Here's what it is, Hebrews 11, one. Let's read it together, Faith Church family. Now, faith is the substance of things, the evidence of things, one more time, every voice. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What God is saying is the rule of faith is this confidence we carry. It is this assurance you have when you're uncertain about the future, when you don't know, which creates the risk and the gamble. God says, I want you to operate by a level of faith. And what does this faith look like? What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What we're trying to understand is that it's, our, it's, it's the foundation that we're resting in. What are you resting in? What is it that you are banking on to bring you peace? What is it that your life is fixed on to give you joy? 
See, we all have faith. It's what are you putting it on? What God is saying is I want you to, I want you to make me your foundation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I like the second part maybe better. It's not just the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence. Everybody say evidence. Evidence of things not seen. See, I hear people say things like this. Well, there's really no, uh, Pastor Steve, I, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so and PhD so-and-so, and you know, there's just not really a lot of evidence for God. Well, if you think there's no evidence for God, it's because you're not paying attention. There's lots of evidence. Can, have I ever seen God? No, nope. but faith is the evidence of things not seen. I've never seen God, but I've seen evidence for God. You want to talk about the evidence for God? All you have to do is just look up outside into this beautiful creation that God made. And there, let me tell you, science for sure has some things figured out, but there is no contradiction between faith and science because while science is smart, what it cannot articulate or answer is where something came from because they say something started in the beginning. Well, who produces something? Well, God is the first uncaused cause, cause. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. When you look at everything, and this is a lot of atheists will even wrestle with this. It doesn't convince them to not be an atheist and it doesn't change them into a Christian. But when they look at something called intelligent design, that we are not just a blue marble floating through an eternal space. But a good God spoke everything into existence and intelligent design is all of the variables that makes life possible. That you had to have the right kind of star, the right mass of a star. The planet has to be the right distance from the star. We have to have the right mass of moon, the right electromagnetic field. We have to have the, the, right, the right gravity, on and on and on. Almost 200 different variables. It's called intelligent design. If just one of those 200 variables was off just by a measure, life would not be possible. But the reason life exists is because God moved all the 200 variables precisely together so we could be here on planet earth because why it's evidence that there's a creator come on somebody the bible says all of creation declares the glory of the lord evidence everybody say evidence evidence what is the evidence of our hope what is the evidence of our faith not just creation but i would argue scripture hundreds of prophecies fulfilled in scripture christ is evidence or lots of teachers, some would argue even lots of miracle workers. But only one person predicted their death and the resurrection and pulled it off. Jesus was not killed by the Roman Empire. He willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice for all of our sin so we could be reconnected to our creator. And he said, but I'm not gonna lay in a tomb forever. He said, on three days, look for me because I'm coming out. And three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And because he lives, we get to live too. Come on, somebody. That is some evidence for our hope. And I think maybe not the best evidence, but some very convincing evidence, at least me, is I look back over my life and some of you, this is the evidence in your life. You are not who you used to be because Jesus came into your life and radically changed you and transformed you and transformed your life and transformed your family. Anybody here got some evidence in your life that Jesus is real and nobody can take that away? Evidence. So, how do we gamble on God? Well, it starts with the most important rule. You have to have faith. You have to have faith. And you might be here and say, Pastor, like this idea of having faith is pretty amazing. I wish I had faith. Good news. You have faith. Do you know how I know it? Because Romans chapter 12, verse three says this. Come on, let's read this together. God has dealt to who's in each one. That's all of us. God has dealt to each one what? A measure of faith. We all have different characteristics about us. 
we like to joke and say, like, you were in the different lines. Some of you got in the intelligent line. Some of you got in the good-looking line. Some of you didn't make all the lines. Just, it's okay. But every one of us, when God created us, God put in our genetic and spiritual DNA, God put in you faith. God put in you the capacity to gamble and take risk. Now, the challenge is, is that we don't always gamble on the right thing. We don't always put our risk in the right thing. A lot of us are putting our risk again in people and careers and politicians. Some of you are like, I just can't wait. Pastor, I just can't wait till Tuesday. We're about to turn the nation around. If I can just get him out and her in and her out and him in. Come on, listen, there's just no politician that can change a heart and change a life. There's no politician, Biden or Kamala Harris or whoever you're hoping for, that really is going to do much difference. The only person who's going to change a life and change a world is Jesus. Stop banking on the wrong person. Go all in on Jesus. Gamble on God. And so in the conversation, it's really unique when you look at scripture. Again, you might be here and say, Pastor, I don't feel like I have faith. You do. Or you might say, Pastor, I wish I had more faith. I've experienced people that really, what I would say, they have a profound amount of faith. I have seen people who go through a season of life that Frankly, I feel like if I went through what they're going through, I'm not sure I would make it, frankly. Like, I'm like, Lord, would, would my faith be as strong as theirs is if I went through what they're going through? Sometimes I wonder, God, did you keep me from it because I wouldn't make it, frankly. I've seen people go through cancer and it literally is eating them from the inside out. And they're withering away and they're going through horrific treatments and I'll call them to try to encourage them. And I get off the phone encouraged by them. And I think, man, I, I wish I had that much faith. I wish I had more faith like them. And so we convince ourselves that I don't really have faith. And if I do, I don't have much faith. Let me just ask you this. How much faith do you need? Because you all have faith. Lawrence Bersholes, Florence, all of us, we, God gave us faith. Did you know that Jesus said, if you only have faith the size of a teeny tiny, itsy bitsy mustard seed, you can move mountains. So no matter how little you think you have, it's enough. It's enough to gamble on God. It's enough to go all in on his plan. It's enough to live life by his rules. But I just would say this, this will be important in where we're about to go, that it's not really about faith. Jesus, in fact, Jesus tells people, you read this, he comes across some people and he says this to them. He says, you have such great faith. It's like Jesus is looking at people, some, and saying, you have a lot of faith. But then he looks at some people, including his own disciples, and he says, you have little faith. You have itsy bitsy, teeny weeny faith. In fact, when Jesus says it one time, he says it to his disciples, New Testament scholars and Greek scholars will say that Jesus uses a word that is found nowhere else in ancient Greek literature. When Jesus uses the word little faith, it's one word. Some people say Jesus made the word up, which if you were here last week, I made a word up and I did that because, I mean, you know, Jesus, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. That when Jesus called his disciples, oh, you of little faith, he called them little faithers. You're a little faither. Jesus was a name caller. 
And so we look at it and we say, I don't want to be a person of little faith. I want to be a person of great faith. Let me just help you understand this. You all have faith. Everybody say, I have faith. Come on, say it like you mean it. You have faith. You may not always say, you're just putting it in the wrong thing. You all have faith. How do we grow in faith? You don't get more faith. You have all the faith you'll ever have. You have all the faith you'll ever need. If you're taking notes, the quantity of your faith is determined by the quality of your focus. It's not a matter of getting more faith. It's a matter of getting more focus. The less you focus on God and the more you focus on the wrong thing, the less faith you'll have because you're putting it into the wrong thing. See, when Jesus called his disciples little faithers, it happened when a storm was happening and they were on this boat freaking out like, oh my gosh, we're drowned. We're about to go to the bottom of the sea and Jesus is asleep on the boat and Jesus wakes up. What's going on, guys? Jesus, there's a storm. Where have you been? And he's like, are you a bunch of little faithers? You're looking at how big the waves are instead of how big your God is. You're looking at the ability of the storm to kill you rather than my ability to keep you. And so it's a matter of focus. What God wants us to do, when we, if we're going to gamble on God, is we have to fix our focus on him. We have to choose what we're going to bank our risk on. We have to choose what we're going to gamble on. And if you're gambling on the problems ability to take you out rather than God's ability to keep you, you're putting your faith in the wrong thing, which is why Hebrews goes on and says this, Hebrews eleven six. Let's read this. This, is our, this verse, it'll get you. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Come on, let's read that again. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Which means, obviously, it's not those without faith. Well, we all have faith. What God is saying is when you put your faith in something else, the reason God isn't pleased is because you're questioning who he said he is. When you refuse to gamble on God, it's a strange form of atheism. It's atheism because if you believe that God is, God is what? God is powerful. God is good. God is merciful. God is just. God is sovereign. Come on, does anybody here believe that we serve a God who is 100% sovereign, good, and in control? Then when you refuse to gamble on God, when you refuse to gamble on God and gamble on anything else, really, you're questioning who God said he is. And that's why God says, if you don't believe that I am, it's impossible to please me. But when you bank on God, when you gamble on God, when you push all the chips of your life, all the chips of your marriage, all the chips of your finances, all the chips of your business, all the chips of the decisions you're going to make every day, when you push them all in on Jesus, that's what it is to gamble on God, to believe that he is, and watch this, he's a rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Y'all want to find reward? Follow Jesus. Y'all want to find reward? Be willing to go the direction that God's leading you, even though it might look challenging. Trust that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I have found out, and I think probably most of you guys would agree, that obedience is a gamble. If you're gonna follow Jesus, being obedient is a gamble, because again, all life is uncertain. If you're gonna follow Jesus, there is some level of uncertainty. Even though you're trusting a certain God, there's still some level of uncertainty. But that's exactly what we're called to, is a life of obedience. God, your way, not my way, your direction, not my direction. And that's what it is to go all in on God. For a few minutes, I want to have a conversation. There's lots of examples we could look to, but I want to look at one of the, one of the groups of people who gambled on God. 
I wanna look at one of the groups of people who we see navigate the rule of faith and how it paid off. It starts with this guy in Genesis chapter 12. His name is Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons, if you know the next line, you've been in church too long. And you're like, have many sons. <laughs> and many sons have Father Abraham. And I am one of them. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right arm. Some of you are newer like, I'm going to a different church next week. <laughs> Lord Jesus, where did you bring me to? It starts, and the reason he's called Father Abraham is because he's our spiritual father. He started, he was the first guy to play by the rule of faith. God found Abraham, and at that time, above, roughly 3,500 years ago, you didn't leave home and go start your own house. You stayed a part of the tribe. You stayed a part of the team. You stayed a part of the family. So as you grew up and had kids, your tribe got bigger. Well, Abraham's tribe, his father's house, they were idolatrous. They were worshiping other gods. And God shows up in Genesis chapter 12 and he tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. Leave your father's house. Whew, man, I don't, God, I don't know if I can do that. If you'll leave your family and leave your father's house, if you'll gamble on me, I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. Abraham's like, well, I, I can't even have kids. Well, because he gambled on God, because he was willing to put his faith in his creator, Abraham left. God blessed him and his wife, Sarah, even though they were past childbearing years and they had kids and their kids had kids and their kids had kids and their kids' kids had more kids until they became a nation. And God promised Abraham that he would give them the promised land. And the only way he got that far was because he gambled on God. Obedience is a gamble. Have you ever found obedience to be a gamble? Anybody here ever make a decision and it felt like a big risk, but it paid off? Wave at me. If you ever found out that trusting God is a, is a payoff. Some of you know parts of my story when 17 years old, I gave my life to Jesus and I just knew that the people I was running with would not help me follow Jesus. And I basically chucked lots and lots of friendships and relationships to the side because sometimes you will face a why in the road in your spiritual journey. And if you're gonna continue to follow Christ, there are some people who can't go with you. There are some people that God has taken out of some of your lives and you're fighting to get them back. You need to let them go because they will not take you the direction that God wants you to go. And so early on, I gambled lots of friendships to gamble on God. Not only that, I, some of you know this, but Went to Akron U, was three years into an electrical engineering program, guaranteed a job when I got out, felt called into ministry and gambled all of it to go to Bible college. My parents thought I had lost my mind, but I gambled on God. Amen. 11 years ago, we had the opportunity to move to Florence, Alabama. Had never been to Alabama, never flew through Alabama, didn't know anybody in Alabama. And let me just tell you, we did not move here for the mosquitoes <laughs> or the humidity but we felt like God called us to come here. And 11 years ago, we left all of our friends, pulled our kids out of school and all their connections, and we left all of our family to come to a state we had never been to. And it was a risk and it was a gamble, but I wasn't gambling on my ability to make a good decision. I was gambling on God's call to call me to something better. 
if you will come to him and believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I'm telling you, 11 years later, God's given us the privilege to pastor an incredible growing church full of incredible people like yourself. And we are honored to be here. Come on, has anybody here ever gambled on God and won? That's the only way. Gamble on God. And you go on and you look at the rest of the story. Abraham became a great nation. If you know the story, they find themselves living in the land of Egypt, in the nation of Egypt during a famine. Pharaoh is providing for this small group of people. In the small group of people, they start multiplying and they become a nation of about a million people. Pharaoh panics. He's afraid that the nation of Israel will overcome his people and take them over. So he puts them into bondage, makes them forced labor for free. And for 400 years, the nation of Israel that was supposed to be in the promised land are in the land of bondage. And God says it's time for them to come out. And so God calls this man, his name is Moses. And you know the story of Moses. God shows up and says, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And if you don't know Moses' story, Moses had a bit of a stuttering problem. And so he decides to gamble on God. He puts his faith not in the ability of Pharaoh to kill him, but in the ability of God to keep him. And he wanders into Pharaoh's palace. I can like imagine, imagine this big chamber, this big king. And he's walking in. You can hear it's like, like, it's just echoing. He gets in front of Pharaoh. God said, let his people go. Pharaoh laughed him out of the throne room. But you will never regret gambling on God because God sent, had his back and sent not one, two, three, four, five, but 10 plagues to rock the nation of Egypt and to break the back of Pharaoh until Pharaoh's like, just leave. And the nation of Israel, they leave. They're on their way from the land of Egypt to this place called the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And they get to this place called the Red Sea. And as soon as they get to the Red Sea, now they can't, they can't swim, they can't get across. Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends a militant army of chariots and horses and soldiers to go take back the people and bring them back into slavery. And Moses is there like, God, what do we do? And God says, all you have to do is gamble on me. Just take a step just take a step in the water. God, what are you talking? Just take a step. And he takes a step with his staff and the water parts and the nation of Israel goes across on dry ground. The army pursues him. God lets the Red Sea swallow up. I mean, obviously y'all see God moving big ways because you're not impressed by this. I happen to be impressed that the waters parted. They, part, they crossed on dry ground and then God allowed the waters to swallow up the Egyptian army. And they're standing on the other side like, are you kidding me? I don't know if you're tracking, but what God is doing is God is giving them evidence. I brought Abraham out, Father Abraham. I blessed him like I said I would. I multiplied him like I said I would. When you were in Egypt and couldn't get out, you couldn't make your own way out. I brought you out. When you got stuck in the Red Sea, I parted it. And then they get to the wilderness and then the good stuff begins. Some of you know the story. God gives them a miraculous GPS system. They don't know where to go. They've never been there. It's like me coming to Alabama. I, I don't know. My reference for Alabama is I know where Birmingham is, Huntsville, Florence, and that's it. If you're going to tell me about a town, it needs to be in reference of one of those three places. <laughs> they don't know where they're going. God says, hey, don't worry about it. 
miraculous GPS. I'm going to lead you by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God miraculously leads them through the wilderness. They get hungry. They get the rumble bellies. They start complaining. And we know the story. I love to tell this. God rocks the quails in the air. They fall to the ground. Protein. They need carbohydrates. God provides tortillas. They have steak tortillas is what they have. Where did it come from? God miraculously provides everything they need. They should be in the wilderness for about 10 days. And then something happens. They come to a place where they have faith. God has clearly given them evidence of who he is and what he can do. And now they have to gamble on God one more time. They're about to go into the promised land. And God says to all the real estate agents, hey, before we close the land deal, I want you to do one more walkthrough. And the goal of the walkthrough isn't for them to say whether they like it. God says, I want you to get cranked up before you. I want you to go see this place I'm about to send you to. God says, I want you to get, let's get fired up. Okay, first service participated. Come on, let's get fired up. And they're like, okay, let's go. So God tells Moses, and this is what we're about to read. God tells Moses, I want you to send 12 spies into the land and go check out the spread. Go look at the reward. And I want you to follow this story with me. In Numbers chapter 13, verse one and verse two, it says, the Lord now said to Moses, send out men, for what reason? Read it with me, to, to do what? Explore the land. The land that I'm giving to the Israelites, send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses gets a message from God, go do a final walkthrough, go check out how amazing this place is. Moses turns around and he goes to the people of Israel. And I want you to notice what he tells. Anytime you add to what God said, you're in trouble. Verse 17 says this, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to do what? Well, where did he get that from? It's what God told him to do. Go north through Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like. Go check it out. And find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. God never said, go look at the people. God said, go, go look at the land. God didn't say, look at the problems. God said, go look at the promise. God said, don't put your focus there. God said, put your focus here. The quantity of your faith is determined by the quality of your focus. And Moses gave him a focus that God didn't want him to have. It's not how big the waves are. It's not how big the storm is. It's how big your savior is. It's not that the storm don't exist, but I'm choosing to focus on my savior. So with this unwarranted focus, verse 27, after 40 days of a walkthrough, they got the inspector's report, all came back clean, except this. This was the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. And I don't know if you know this story, I won't read it, but the Bible tells us that they got, they got a vine of grapes with grapes as big as some of your heads, which is pretty big. It's okay. I got small ears. See, you got a big head. I got small ears. It just is what it is. But we all got faith. Just hang, some of you are like, you're offended. I could have said worse things and it would have been just as true. 
There can't be beautiful people unless there's some ugly ones to, never mind. Anyways, <laughs> if everybody's beautiful, nobody's beautiful. That's right. Where are we at? What verse are we on? <laughs> okay, watch. So they come back and they're like, hey, we went to check it out and it's incredible. It's everything God said it is. But watch, verse 28, what's that first word? But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified and we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We can't go in there. We're not strong enough to beat them. We're not powerful enough to overtake them. It's a great land, but it's, we can't go. All of a sudden they shifted all of their faith on how strong the might of the inhabitants were instead of the might of the God they served. They had faith, they just put it in the wrong place and they refused to gamble on God. Then Caleb, he hears it, man, people start freaking out. Now they're stuck in the wilderness. It's too late to go back to Egypt. They can't get in the wilderness. They can't get in the promised land. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go in at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Not because we're big, but because God's big. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Let me ask you a question. Are you gambling on God like Caleb? Or are you gambling like the other 11? One million people in the wilderness and only one gambled on God. Some of you need to be reminded of this. You can be the minority voice and be right. You can be the only voice that's saying it and be 100% right. The majority is rarely correct. Caleb is one, literally in a million, but he got outvoted. And instead of them getting the reward of the promised land, they spent the next 40 years dying in the wilderness because they refused to go all in on Jesus. Some of you are in a place where right now you need to make the decision. I need to go all in on Jesus. I need to quit banking on them and on that and on this business and on this transaction and on this relationship. I mean, I'm not saying you don't need those things. I'm not saying God can't use those things, but when you're, when you're betting big, when you're going all in, you need to go all in on Jesus. Gamble on God. Are you gambling on God? Are you gambling on God? When it comes to giving, I mentioned kingdom builders. And some of you are like, I can't give no money, pastor. You don't understand. Things are tight. Things are difficult. We don't know what the market's gonna do. Are you trusting the market? Are you gambling on God? When God calls us to generous living, you can live generously. Why? Not because it's about how much you have. It's about how good he can provide gambling on God. Amen. You don't have to clap. It was good. Amen. It's true. I didn't ask her. And now she's sitting on the fourth row. Deb, I'm gonna tell a story about you and just wink at me if I'm all right. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. So Pastor Adam, our executive pastor, he went to a gathering of other executive pastors last week and he posted some pictures on social media. And Deb looked and recognized the church he was at because it was the church they used to go to before they moved to Florence, Alabama and became Faith Church family. And I was talking to her and we were talking about, you know, just it's a small world when you see people and like, wow, we know. And so her old pastor, I know him, Dave Devine. I know, I was like, Dave Devine, you know Dave? I know Dave, you know Dave, I know Dave. 
And she's like, this was, she said, this is what I thought when I saw the pictures, that the building Pastor Adam was in was a building we helped pay for because we were givers of that church. And she said, it's so amazing. When you're giving, you don't realize what you're giving to. You don't always understand, is it gonna pay off? She said, now to look back and look at a building that God is using to train other pastors and we help give to that finance. And here's what she was saying is, years ago, we gambled on God and we got a payoff and a reward. God is always good if you're willing to play by the rule of faith. If you're taking notes, this is where I'll close. We should gamble on God by taking God-honoring risks. I'm not saying you should just go full bore and tack God's name. Well, God said a God-honoring risk. I want to challenge you tomorrow morning. You will have opportunity to do this. I just want to challenge you, Lawrenceburg and Shoals, Florence, gamble on God. Some of you are going to have to make some decisions this week. Gamble on God. Some of you will have some things come your direction and you can choose to put your faith in that or your faith on him. I just want to encourage all of us together. Let's say one, two, three, let's gamble on God. Father, will you help us to put all of our faith in you? God, all of us have faith and it's so easy to misplace it. Well, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. We believe that you are. We believe you are good. You are faithful. You are just. You are powerful. We choose to believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. God, help us to gamble on God in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.